for our being on this earth. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and wherever you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sherry. Let me pray once more. And would you join me? And so, Heavenly Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to you this afternoon. And thank you for time to sing of your goodness and your faithfulness and to remember that in our life. And I pray we can even, even as Glenn mentioned, these are hard times and we've experienced a difficult and challenging time. You are still good and faithful. Help us. Help us as the writer to the Hebrews admonishes us to keep our eyes on Jesus through the hard times because the promise of your faithfulness and your goodness is that ultimately you're there to help us, to uphold us, to strengthen us with your righteous right hand. And now, would you give us ears to hear? Would you uh, give me um, helpful words from your word, I pray. May the soil of all of our hearts be ready to hear and respond as you want in our lives this afternoon, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, all right. Well, let me say just a few words by way of introduction uh, this afternoon, uh, not only to the passage that Sherry read, but also just to sermons for the next few weeks. So just before Christmas, uh, we had been in, we started in the fall, a series in the Sermon on the Mount. I have not forgotten about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We will return there, Lord willing, in February. Actually, uh, I think it's the last Sunday of January. There's five Sundays this month. And our friend Neil Brower is going to be with us in person on the last Sunday of January, and he's going to return us back into the Sermon on the Mount. We, we did finish Matthew 5, just before the Christmas sermons, and he's going to take us into Matthew 6 uh, there on that Sunday. Uh, but what I try to do, and it's fun to go back and look at my, uh, my spreadsheet over the last 12 and a half years, um, every year at the beginning of the year, I like to do a message on uh, what I talked about last week. And last week, if you were with us, I talked about continuing in the scriptures from 2 Timothy chapter 3. The beginning of the year is always a good time for us to evaluate our our time in in this book. And I was just listening to a podcast this morning. I went for a walk in that non-rain, fog, rain time. (laughs) And uh, this person was talking about in his own life, um, and I love how he worded this. He said, when I read my Bible for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, however long it is, it's God speaking to me. 
And just the way he said it, he was so convinced of it. And I like, yes, that's right. Uh, going into God's word. And I brought more of those five-day reading plans, by the way. I, it's the one I'm doing and talked about it. If you want to grab one, they're up here on the stage. Um, I want to think of it that way. Like this morning, I did get up and I sat in my chair and and for 20 or so minutes, I think that's the time it took me to read my, my chapters today. It was God speaking to me. Like, and sometimes we can think, oh, I just wish God would speak. You know, he's silent. We've got 66 books, church, right here that he's given us of him speaking. And ours is to hear him and respond in prayer. And, and yes, we, we can in prayer, you know, ask for leadings and promptings and wisdom and, and nudges and decisions and all of that. But don't neglect this his self-revelation, and, and so I hope you are continuing. And I don't know if you had a great week or if, you know, even though it's today the 10th, you're already struggling, it's okay. Start tonight. Get back and have some time letting God speak to you tonight. But I always want to call us to that. I need to be reminded of that. So that was last week. The other thing I try to do typically at the start of each year, I also do this around the fall also, is uh, what could be called a vision sermon. Right? I want to help us remember what it means to be the church. A pastor once said that vision leaks. And what, what they had in mind, I think about in my house, we've got a slew of bicycles. And um, it's amazing, those, those tires, if, if the bikes aren't ridden very often, like they're just, they, they slowly deflate. The tires just can slowly, you know, the, the air leaks out. Or again, we have a bucket of different kind of footballs and basketballs and soccer balls and four square balls, like in time, balls lose their air, right? And, and it just happens. And you need to pump those balls up. You need to pump the tires up. Vision, and, and by that, I just simply mean what, what this book, again, what has God said about what it means to be the church, we can forget. I can forget. And so I want to remember myself and I want to help us remember what it means to be the church. And that's what today's sermon is about, the passage that we heard from Matthew chapter 16. Now, we do have a vision statement for, for us, and I should say this more often, but, but this is kind of what was formulated some 13 years ago, and that is, by God's grace, it's all Him, we were always responding to His initiation, by God's grace, we are becoming, it's a process, we are becoming a spiritually Holy Spirit is doing the work. We are becoming a spiritually transformed community that is actively loving God and loving others, fulfilling the great commandment to love God, to love others. By God's grace, we are actively doing that here in Sonoma County and and in the world. Now, tonight, we're not going to go into that statement specifically. Um, We'll do that again, no doubt. I actually want to go, if you will, further back, even as we start to orient ourselves to this passage. Uh, Again, that was read. If you haven't already, um, turn in your Bible or swipe in your Bible to Matthew 16. This, this very famous passage that, that Sherry read for us um, is often simply called uh, Peter's Confession, um, and, and we'll get into that some more here in just a minute. So while you're getting there, let me, let me read from one writer I've been reading lately. Um, he says this, the church that you, that's me, Paul, he didn't write my name, I'm just, you know. The pronouns, they always are confusing when you're listening. Okay. The church that you, pastor, or you all, serve, or attend, doesn't belong to you. 
It doesn't belong to the long-term members, the tithers, the denomination, the pastor, or the lien holder on the facility. The church, including the local congregation that we refer to as my church, belongs to Jesus. In fact, every time we use the term my church, which is okay, we need to realize we're saying my in the belonging sense, not in the owning sense, right? In the same way I would say my team, the 49ers, I don't own them. They don't ever check in with me about what I think. They haven't invited me to be their chaplain, even though I would do it. I don't know how I would handle our, your responsibility, my responsibilities to you on Sundays, but you know, maybe that's why it hasn't happened. So my team isn't mine in the sense of owning, right? It's, it's, it's mine in, in the way sports fans speak of their team. It's about commitment, partnership, not possession. And we know that. That's in our name, Soma, the body. Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So that's where I kind of want us to kind of talk about vision and what does it mean to be the church. Let's, let's remember that this afternoon when we think about our church, my church, your church, not in the owning sense, but in the belonging, the commitment, the partnering. Our church belongs to Jesus. He's the head, as I mentioned. He is the chief shepherd, as 1 Peter 5.4 says in Hebrews 13.20. And so, tonight, for a few minutes, let's look at the church Jesus said he would build. The church Jesus said he would build. And we're going to look at two things out of this passage. There, there's a lot here. There's a lot I'm not going to get to tonight. And again, you can... Say, let's go have a walk, Paul. Let's, let's find a coffee spot and drink coffee. I have questions, and that's great if, if I don't cover the things you want. We only have time for two, two main things to look at in this. So again, the church Jesus said he would build. And the first thing I want us to see, the church Jesus said he would build flows from who he is. The church Jesus said he would build flows directly from who Jesus is. Look down at verse 13, and let's get our context. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, the timing of this in Matthew is is extraordinary. I wish, it starts to give me to wish we were in the middle of Matthew at this point, and not still in chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, but just a couple of words about the context of the time and the location here that we find ourselves in. In terms of the timing, if you were to flip your Bible to the next chapter, in the next chapter, Jesus is going to start to speak very directly about why he came. He's going to speak very pointedly. Up till now, he's been a little vague with his followers, but he's going to say, I have come. They're going to arrest me. I'm going to be murdered. And they're not ready for that. And so that's coming And it's coming because the way the scriptures portray it, Jesus is going to set his face toward Jerusalem. That's simply a way of saying he's headed there now. He's been mostly living up in Galilee, the northern part of Israel. He's been a rabbi. He's got followers. He's been a teacher. He's been doing miracles. He's made trips to Jerusalem and back. But now he's going to be going to Jerusalem. His face is fixed toward Jerusalem. So we are right on the verge of of the end of his three years as he heads toward why he came, ultimately, to die, to pay the penalty for the sins that we committed so that we would have forgiveness and and all of that. So that's about the timing. 
But the location is important. Scholars note that this district, Caesarea Philippi, it's actually about 25 miles even to the north of Galilee. Um, It had been a center of worship, um, not of God, not of Yahweh, not of Israel's God, but it had been a center of worship for Baal. You might recognize that name from your Old Testament reading, right? One of the, the... false lowercase gods that that some of them worshipped, some of the peoples, groups, and whatnot. It had been a center of worship to the Greek god Pan, and then most recently, actually, to Caesar. Okay, this is interesting. In fact, at this time when Jesus is there and and they're meeting and he asks them this, um, this was an important Greco-Roman city, so not really all that much of a Jewish influence, and it had a primarily, it had a pagan um, population of those from Syria and those from, from Greek, a Greek and Syrian population. And its name, get this, its name had been changed from Paneus, and you hear the word Pan in there, that was the one god, one of the three, lowercase god, that had been worshipped. The name of this region had been changed from Paneus to Caesarea Philippi. Now this is important. This was done by Philip the Tetrarch. He was one of Herod the Great's sons. Herod the Great, you might remember him. And Philip the Tetrarch changed the name in honor of himself and of Caesar Augustus. So Caesarea, Caesar, Philippi, Philip. I wish I could name a town in honor of myself. Don't you? Maybe we shouldn't want that. But that's what he felt he could do. So in this non-Jewish area that has had all kinds of pagan worship over the years, and now it's named for the worship of Caesar, Jesus says to his, his followers, hey, what's the word on the street? You know, again, they probably had other things they talked about. Matthew didn't record all of it. But in this place where there's lots of worship, who do people say that I am? Look at verse 14. They answered, they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets. See, those were popular rumors that had been floating around about who Jesus maybe was. Uh, That's the prevailing wisdom, we might say, of of the day. And these were all um, ideas that come out of the scriptures. There was a notion that there would be a great prophet like some of those different people uh, and so forth. Deuteronomy 18, Malachi 4, verse 5, speaks about this this greater prophet that would, would come. So they say, yeah, there's lots of ideas about who people say you are, Jesus. I wonder, you know, if Jesus were to show up here, and say, hey, Soma, you're my disciples, many of you. You follow me, you're, you're Christians. Who do people out there in town, at your work, at your school, on your street, on the internet, who do they say I am? Probably we might say things like, well, some people say you are a good teacher, Jesus. Um, some might say, um, well, he was a religious leader who, who started a movement. Okay, okay. Maybe some might say prophet. Um, some might even say a political nationalistic leader. And, and clearly we saw this week some people think that. Some may think he was a lunatic or a madman. Probably many might think he was a good example. Uh, you know, just someone who loved people, who said, turn the other cheek and... and, and and, and, you know, was a unifier or, or things like that. Probably there's other ideas we would hear too. 
So Jesus says, okay, so that's who people say that I am. But now he says, what about you? So verse 15, look back down. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, we don't see it in English, but that you is in the plural. Um, For all of our friends from the South, it's as if Jesus said, who do all y'all say that I am? Like, what's the word amongst my closest disciples, my, my inner circle here? And in verse 16, we have the famous confession of Peter, Matthew 16, 16. Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter has kind of been the spokesperson amongst the 12, that core group of disciples. And remember, I just hope it's not redundant. Disciple was was a term for a follower. If you're a Christian today, you're you're a disciple. And so Jesus had hundreds of disciples, um, and then the 12 who were named apostles, sometimes we we say the disciples and we're only referring to the 12, probably that's who's here. So that's who he's talking to all y'all. Who do all y'all 12 say I am? You've been with me the most. You told me what the word on the street is, but what what about you? Because again, he's, he's about to go to the cross, like he's almost done with his three years do you, do you know? Do you get it? He, so he asked the question. And Peter, the spokesperson, whether or not all 12 of them believed the same thing Peter believed, we aren't sure. But, but Peter, never, never quiet, right? Peter, always quick to give an answer. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter gives the, the Sunday school answer of Jesus, right? That's it. He, he gets it right. Two things he said in particular. He said, you are the Christ. That's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. This points back to King David, who was the anointed king of Israel, who, who it was said in 2 Samuel 7 that there would be a king in the line of David who would reign forever. So, so they, they understood he would be this especially anointed one who would rule God's people. So that, that again, was the frame of reference for them we could kind of say it was their way of saying king, you're king. Just like David was the king of Israel, to be in that line, to be the anointed one, is to be king. Peter also said that you're the the son of the living God. Jesus is the son of God in a very unique way. Um, Unlike the pagan gods there in in Caesarea Philippi uh, who, who were dead, Jesus is the, the, the son of the living God, because God is alive. These Pan and, and Baal, they aren't real gods anyway, but, but the living God has this unique son. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, and other places speak of, of the uniqueness of God the Son. Again, we would understand it more. We do because of how this book fleshes out that idea. But even, even then, before the New Testament, before a Trinitarian understanding, the, the, the king, and then Psalm 2-7 present this idea of there being a son. And, and Peter says, you're the son of the living God. Well, how does Jesus respond? Verses 17 and 18. Jesus answered Peter, answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of John, the son of Jonah. And this is key. And again, there, there's a lot here, but just on, on, its, on the surface, Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, James and John didn't tell you when you were fishing last week. 
that answer, okay? Uh, Simon the Zealot, who wants to overthrow Rome, he didn't tell you that. Like, you know, like flesh and blood, no other human revealed that to you. But my Father who is in heaven. Peter somehow had this special revelation given to him by God the Father to know this about Jesus. And then verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of ESV says hell, although a little footnote, if you have an ESV, should direct you to the bottom. It should be Hades. Literally, it's Hades, the gates of Hades, meaning death. Meaning death shall not prevail against it. And I'll come back to that in a moment. This is, by the way, the first time the word church is mentioned in the New Testament, on the mouth of Jesus. And again, there's a play on words. Uh, Peter is a form of the word rock, and so you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, again, remember I said already, like, make an appointment, let's go have coffee, let's walk, let's talk about a lot of these nuances we don't have time to flesh out. I don't believe Peter is the first pope. I don't believe there's anything in this uh, passage about him starting, Jesus starting some line in that regard. But, but he was blessed to, to have God the Father reveal this to him. Yeah, that, that is to be blessed and to get the answer right. And, and, and so, you know, there's this divide. Well, what is the rock that Jesus will build his church on? Is it Peter? Is it the confession? Is it, is it somehow both? And I think it's somehow both. I think it does grammatically point to Peter. And, and Peter, again, as a spokesperson then, he becomes the spokesperson in Acts 2. And, and so he has a role, a very real role as one of the apostles who the Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. There's nothing wrong with recognizing that Peter plays a, a very important role. So it's him. It's also, though, the confession, what he said. And somehow it's both, and we'll, we can talk when we have that coffee and that walk. But the point, as I've already said, is that the church that Jesus said he would build flows from who Jesus is is. Jesus is essentially saying, yes, Peter, correct answer, and I'm going to build my church. Remember, it's his church. We talk about our church, not in the owning sense, but in the belonging sense. Jesus means in the owning sense. When he says my church, it's his church. And he says, I will build it, and he will build his church. Don't miss this. On the reality of who he is, on the reality of who he is. And again, Peter begins to communicate it, but church, we have a whole book that fleshes out more of who he is, and we'll look at some of that in a moment. One writer notes this, the first time the word church appears in the Bible, which is right here in our text, it happens as the direct result of a question, not about the mission or vision, but about the identity of Jesus. Note that the order of the conversion in this passage shows us that Christ's church flows directly out of his character. Who do you say I am? Leads very quickly to, I will build my church. I love this. And as I said, this is our vision Sunday to start the year. What are we supposed to do and be as a church? Well, before we think about doing and and even being us, we got to get this settled who do we say he is? 
The church Jesus said he would build flows out of him, out of his identity. Not from what churches do, not from what people say about who he is, about what they say about the church. The church Jesus said he would build flows directly from who he is. So that's the first and most important thing. And then just briefly, the second thing tonight. The church Jesus said he would build confesses who Jesus is. The church that Jesus said he would build confesses who Jesus is. And this really builds on that that first point. Now, let's talk about the word confess for a minute. Most of the time when we talk about confessing something, we're thinking of someone who's done something wrong, right? We're thinking of, you know, someone who has committed a crime or or whatever, and and are they going to confess to their crime? Well, what do we mean by that? We mean admit. If, If a criminal, let's just talk about that, confesses to a crime, that means they admit to a crime. So we confess things all the time that aren't crimes. I've already confessed to you that I'm a 49er fan, and you all know that if you know me. I'm part of the faithful. I will thank you for still loving me. I appreciate that. I confess that I had an egg and Swiss cheese sandwich on a torta roll this morning with a little bit of pesto on one piece of the bread. It was really good. I confess I did have that. What am I doing? I'm, I'm admitting. Peter confessed. He admitted what God had revealed to him, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, that he was the son of the living God. And if we, Soma, this local body, part of the bigger body, if we're going to be a church that Jesus will build, and he said he would, he can be trusted, it flows from who he is, but it also then means that we will confess who he is. We will admit who he is. And if we don't, we shouldn't expect him to build the church. The church that confesses who Jesus is is based on what the Bible says about who he is to admit, to confess. I was thinking even just this afternoon, this isn't in my notes, 30 seconds of bonus material here. Our church, Soma Church Community, is... is part of the association of the Evangelical Free Church of America, okay? We're not a denomination. No one is telling us what to do, and they're not going to pull me away and take me to some other place, right? We, we are voluntarily uh, affiliated with this association, EV Free, Evangelical Free Church of America. You know this, most of you. Evangelical, kind of a dirty word at times. People make it political, people whatever, It's tragic. It's a beautiful word. It comes from the word gospel. You've hopefully heard me say that over and over again. It's this transliteration of the evangel, which is transliterated from gospel. So so Soma, and I've started to think this way, I need to say I'm a personally, and we are confessionally evangelical. Like if, if, if we don't like this word sometimes and our culture doesn't like it, okay, you know, we aren't politically evangelical. Like, no, we are confessional. Like, we have a creed, and it's definitely this book, but we have a statement of faith too, and our statement of faith flows out of the historic creeds of the Christian faith. We are confessional. We believe in one God, maker of heaven and earth, who exists, who's one, but there's three persons, right? The Father, Son, the Spirit. We believe in the virgin birth, Like, we do confess those things. If you're a covenant member, 
you've said, I, I'm, I'm on board with those things. I will confess, I will admit those truths. And I love that the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church, boils it down to the core things that have always been true of core Christians, no matter what the secondary things are. Okay, now that was a little more than 30 seconds, but that's okay. Peter was called blessed because, again, the Father revealed this to him, and he stated it. And I think we will have God's blessing if we, too, will confess who Jesus is. And that, that, that starts to now flesh itself out into individuals who make up, then, this, this body. We, we have, in God's Word, 66 books, and it really does take the whole book to get the full picture of who Jesus is. A few questions I want you to consider as individuals tonight. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just an example? He is an example. In the book of Hebrews, we're told to keep our eyes fixed on him. He's an example. But he's not just an example, according to the Bible. Is he a friend to you? He is a friend. The scriptures speak of that way. In fact, Hebrews speaks of him as our brother. That's kind of a weird one we don't always think about. He's a lot of things. Who is he to you? Who is he to all y'all? I can stand up here and say we confess. We are confessionally evangelical. Are are we all? Uh, We may not all be. Who is Jesus as seen in the Bible? Again, Tying this back to last week, are you continuing in the scriptures to get to know him? How does your picture of Jesus compare to the biblical portrayal of Jesus? That famous Tozer quote, what comes into your mind when you think about God or Jesus is the most important thing about you. Does, it, does what comes into your mind come from here? What does this picture of Jesus tell you about what his church should look like? And finally, what what might you need to change about your picture of Jesus and his church? We'll post those questions online if you were wanting to write them. Right now, I just want you to hopefully let the Spirit be doing his work with the Scriptures to reprove, rebuke, exhort, teach. The church Jesus said he would build confesses who he is. And again, in, in Matthew here, we get... That you are, you are the Christ, he is king, he is the promised one, he is the son of the living God. But let me end by reading two passages, and then Glenn and the family will come up and we'll sing one more. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Listen, just hear this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul the Apostle, became a minister. Oh, isn't that a glorious text? And then one final passage. Maybe you read it this Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us is born, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Church, I want him to build us according to who he is and as we confess him for who he is, for what the word says about him. And you have my commitment. I will be diligent by the grace that he supplies as I teach to to be faithful to this word And you hold me to that and anyone else that speaks and teaches. And I hope you will continue in the scriptures and get to know him and confess him. And if we do, we'll be blessed. And and the church Jesus said he would build, we'll be part of it. And it doesn't mean we'll be 10,000 people. I don't think we would all fit under the patio here. But we'll grow into maturity and people will come to faith and it'll be glorious. Would you stand and let's pray for God to do that. Let's be the church that Jesus said he would build. He is our identity. Let's confess that identity. So Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we want to be a church that Jesus you would build. That who you are would be at the core of who we are as families, as individuals, and that our confession would would match how we live. We don't want to just give lip service, but when we confess what the scriptures say about you, we, we, we intend that it is shaping us and changing us. So we look to you tonight. We look to you in the year to come. Build your church. We'll submit. We'll follow. We'll, we'll let you lead. You're the head. You're the chief shepherd. Have your way, I pray.